Have you ever been around uh, a friend maybe who was a, a name dropper? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know, have friends who name dropper? They like to, um, like to mention names of people that they know that maybe are sort of famous or that might make an impression on you if they just sort of drop that name in the middle of a conversation. Uh, have you ever been a name dropper? Okay. Uh, we all probably are a little bit tempted to do that at times in our life, aren't we? Uh, I love to be at a restaurant where there are TVs and ESPN's on. And uh, most of you know a friend of mine is a guy on ESPN named Reese Davis. And uh, if I see Reese show up there, I always love to say, you know, there's Reese Davis. You know, I knew him when he was a freshman in college. I actually performed his wedding ceremony. People were so impressed. I used to say I married Reese Davis, but that didn't go over very well. So, so often we drop names. How amazing. And here's what we're talking about here this, um, this morning. How amazing if you could drop the name of Jesus in the middle of a conversation and say, honestly, he's my best friend. I mean, that sounds almost absurd to us, but that's really what we've been studying lately is how Jesus has said in John chapter 15, I I really want to be your best friend. I've been looking on quotations about best friendships. Here's one I really liked by Nathaniel Richmond. Best friends can turn a horrible day into one of the best days of your life. And you've experienced that. Well, maybe it's just a terrible day, but you get to be with your best friend and you share and you laugh. Or maybe they talk you off the ledge, you know, when you're about to go crazy about something. Or they remind you of what life is all about. We love having constant contact with that best friend because they just make us feel better about ourselves. And here's what I want you to know about this best friend, Jesus. You can have absolutely constant contact with him. I mean, listen to this passage from Colossians chapter 3. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You can do everything in Jesus' name. I mean, He emphasizes it. Whatever you do, He ups that. In word or deed, He ups that. Do it all. What's He saying? Every aspect of your life, every moment of your life, you can do things in the name of Jesus, as if Jesus were in your place and Jesus is there with you. Let me show, share with you a couple of quotations from one of my favorite authors. His name is, is John Ortberg, and I think he nails this topic. First of all, here's the quotation. The heart of the spiritual life is to do everything with Jesus in his name, the way he would do it in our place, knowing he is actually present. My friends, listen, that is the amazing seismic difference between what happened in the old covenant and what we received in Jesus in the new covenant. It's that God can be with us everywhere we go. In the Old Testament, God had created a location for himself. It was called the temple. In the New Testament, the temple moves from a building to people. And so as we talk about being best friends with Jesus or walking with God the Father, or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Honestly, I think all of those statements are parallel statements. What do they say? The triune God, God Almighty, walks with us. And I really love this quotation from John Orberg. As a general rule, we don't need to switch activities in order to be with Jesus. 
All we need to do is invite him into what we are doing at that moment. Oh, I really like that, don't you? That's encouraging. Sometimes I think if I've got to follow God, then I need to turn into a hermit. And I need to get myself off all by myself and spend countless hours with no one else. That's the only way I can really walk with God. That's not the only way you can walk with God. He wants you to be with Him in everything that you do. Walk with Him is not an amount of here, i got to go do something completely new. It's you taking your everyday life and making Him a part of it. What's good news? Now here's the way we... We, we blow this one, I think, is we learn to compartmentalize our life. I've got my spiritual life. I've got my church life, so I come to church, and that's where I, I meet with God. And then I've got my family life, and that's separate. And I've got my work world life, and I've got my recreation life, or you may have your school life. And if we're not careful, we learn to compartmentalize. So we, we look at this hour that we're together. This, this is our spiritual time, and work time seems to be quite separate. And that's where we often get ourselves in trouble, don't we? Maybe you work in a large organization. And uh, one day in this organization, you meet someone new. And something comes up in the conversation. They say, I go to Landmark Church. And you go, hey, I go to Landmark too. You ever had that moment? Well, I go over to the gym. Well, I'm in the, the worship center. But we're part of the same church. And, and, and you connect now. That moment is either a wonderful, glorious moment where you go, yes, yes, we're together. Or it's that, did they hear what I said the other day? (laughs) Have they been around and heard my language at work? Have they noticed my attitude toward the boss? It's either a great moment or an awful moment. Because often we learn to compartmentalize. We would use language here that we... That's one way in language at work that's completely different. We might have one attitude with our family that we would not have with the people that were around at work. And so we learn to compartmentalize our life. Here's the good news about what we're saying today. You don't need to compartmentalize your life. Your life needs to look the same all the way through. What you do here is spiritual. What you do at work is spiritual. What you do when you're out in recreation is spiritual. What you do with your family is spiritual. The greatest compliment you and I can receive is you're the same person at work that you are at church. As a preacher, the greatest compliment I can receive is, buddy, you're the same guy out of the pulpit that when you're preaching. That's a great compliment. And that's what happens when we begin to walk with Jesus in every area of our life. So here's what we're going to do today. How do you spend the day with Jesus? And I want to get really practical today about how you walk with Jesus all day long. Hope you'll take notes on this one. You know, years ago, there was a, a really popular, you know, wristband out that, that really made a lot of waves and I think did a lot of good. It was WWJD. Now, remember, what did that stand for? Say it with me. What would Jesus do? That's a great idea that everywhere I go, I'm asking if Jesus were here in my place, what would he do? But I do believe there was one weakness to the WWJD movement. And here's the weakness. It's... I can't do what Jesus did unless I have what Jesus had. You see what I'm saying? If on my own, I'm out here going, okay, I'm going to be Jesus in my work, I'm going to be Jesus in my family, but I don't have the indwelling presence of God to give me the power to be like Jesus, then it won't work. 
And so today, I, I might want to change WWJD to these words, walking with Jesus daily. You see, if I can learn to walk with Jesus daily, I can learn to answer that question, what would Jesus do correctly? And so how do you do this? Well, let's just, let's just walk through our day. Now we're going to start, surprisingly, when you're going to sleep, okay? Now listen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Now here's what we need to understand, is that the Jewish day is different than our day. It started back in Genesis chapter 1. And what does he say here? There was evening, and then there was morning, that was the first day. On the Jewish calendar, the day started at sunset. It didn't start at sunrise. And I think there is some wisdom to that. You know, many of us read in Acts chapter 20, where they took the Lord's Supper, and the, the sermon goes on past midnight, and we assume that's a late Sunday night service. No, that was what we would call a Saturday night service, all right? Because that's the way the Jewish people kept time. Now, when it comes to spending our day with Jesus, this is very helpful because the tone you set when you go to bed will have a lot to do with setting the tone for your next day. So as you're going to sleep, what should you do? I think it's a great time to review your day, to cast out all the negative, to ask for forgiveness of the things where you've blown it, and especially to give thanks. I mean, you just stop for a little bit, you review your day, think of all the good things that have. Here, here's why so many of us sleep so restlessly, is because we get in bed and we conjure up and we think over and over about all the bad things that happened that day. The slights, you know, the criticism, the, the assignments we didn't do very well on. And so we end up trying to get to sleep and we can't sleep because we're so restless with all the bad things. Here, give God your night. Give God the last words of your day. You say, well, oh, no, buddy, I, I might fall asleep while I'm praying. And, man, that's, a, that's, a, man, that's a very, not very nice to God. That might be offensive to God. Listen to me. I learned this when I had small children, and they might be in my lap, and they might be talking to me, or I might be laying in bed with them talking about the day, and they fell asleep on you. Anybody offended by that? Oh, no. As a parent, that is an incredible joy. And for God, for you to fall asleep in the middle of prayer is an incredible sign of your security in him. So give him that last moment of the day and get a good night's sleep. This is pretty practical here, guys. It's hard to live for Jesus when you're cranky and tired. Is it not? So it's actually a spiritual thing to get yourself a good night's sleep. I mean, you, you, you read the paper and magazines. I mean, in America today, there is a sleep deprivation that is huge. Most of us just do not get near the amount of rest that we need. And let me tell you this, I think that's one of the reasons we have a hard time acting like Jesus. So start off by when you're going to sleep. How about when you're waking? Oh, I love this passage from Psalms 5, verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly so you you walk with Jesus when you wake up you know, there, there are two kinds of people in the world there are people who wake up with lots of joy right are you one of those the other type of people in the world are people who hate 
those people who wake up with lots of joy. I'm one of those, all right? I mean, you, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's important the way you start. You know, before your feet hit the ground, let me ask you this. Do you pray? Probably the quotation I've given for years that I hear most quoted from this church is an old quotation from a man named Albert Lemons. He said this, The most arrogant thing a man can do is to leave his house in the morning without praying. That's a great quotation. And the best thing you can do in the morning is to make sure that you talk to God. And for some of you, you're morning people and having that wonderful quiet time, you know, maybe 30 minutes, 15 minutes with God alone works for you. There are others of you, you're not morning people, and you've tried to force yourself into that because everybody's always said that's the way spiritual people do it. And maybe it's not working for you. But at least spend that time praying. I love what a man named Frank LeBrock said. He said, if your morning devotional is tired and sleepy, God is probably as tired of it as you are. Okay, so if that doesn't work for you, at least spend some time in prayer, handing your day over to God. Talk to him before you ever slip out of the bed. And then what do you do when you're getting ready? Oh, I like this passage. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. In ancient days, one advantage they had over us is they had all kinds of purification rites. They were physical washings that you did in your everyday life that symbolized the forgiveness that you had in God. And I think that morning shower, if we can get real specific here, could be that in your life and my life. You know, as you're showering, if you can just think, Lord, is, is this water and this soap is cleansing my body? Help me to remember that you are cleansing my soul. What a great thought to remember the psalm, God's mercies are new every morning. They are. And before you walk in that day, just let all of the guilt and all of the crud and shame just be washed away as you walk into that day. And then how about this one? This may be a challenge to some of us. How about driving with Jesus? (laughs) You think you could do that? Might change your driving habits, right? I understand God is always with you. You may be scaring Jesus to death, but he's there. You know, that, that can be some great time with God, can't it? You know, before cell phones came along, I would say for Stephanie and I, some of the best times in our marriage were long drives. And we've learned now just cut the cell phones off because you're, you're uninterrupted and you've got time just to, just to talk about everything. And with God... Why don't you use that morning commute to talk to him? Or use that morning commute to to listen to music that will bless your soul. I I think there are very few things for many of us. I saw how many of you raised your hand last week that worship was your connection to God. Well, then maybe the best way for you to use your time in the morning on your drive is to listen to Christian radio. I'm, I'm telling you, you'll be a whole lot less uptight than if you listen to to just political talk radio. I promise you that, right? So listen to that. Use that drive time. How about another? Here's a great one. How about eating with Jesus? And listen to this passage from Ecclesiastes. A person can do nothing better, the wise man says, than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. 
This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? What's he saying? When you sit down to eat, man, don't feel guilty about what you have. Enjoy it. Because when we eat, it's concrete evidence that God is providing for each one of our needs. I'm mean, thinking about all the people who struggle for a full plate of food. And yet most of us do it three times a day. What an important time just to stop and to pray and to thank God for what he's done. I want to challenge some of us. You know, among Christian people, there's a good tradition. It's not necessarily a biblical thing that you're commanded to do this, but that you pray before every meal. And, and some of you probably have slipped in that. I would like to stop and challenge you that don't do that to make that a practice. That's a great one of those practices for your family. That's a great practice for you individually. It's just every time you sit down. But make sure you give thanks for how good God's been to you. Now, for some of us who actually do practice that every meal, here's our challenge. Our challenge is to be sincere. You know, some of us who do it constantly, it's easy, you know, just to throw out that prayer. How about if you really stop and just thank God for the blessing he's given you? Just give him thanks for it. Lord, I cannot believe how well I live, how rich I am here in America, how abundantly you bless me. Be for real about it. Well, then you can even take Jesus with you to your work. I love what Colossians 3.17 says. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, guys, I understand the context here. This will make this easier for you and I to apply. Paul is writing to slaves. And he's saying, you can even work for God and with God in that terrible situation. So what's our excuse about work? Now, here's, here's the challenge here. This is why working with Jesus at your side is so important. Do you recognize that a third of your life on this earth will be spent at work? That's what the average American lives. A third of their life is spent at work. So if we compartmentalize that part and go, you know what, I go to work without Jesus, man, we've left Jesus out of a big part of our day. And a lot of us struggle with our work. Gallup did a poll in 2013. And here's what he found out about how people felt about their jobs. 30% of Americans were actually excited about their jobs. Just 30%. 52% were disengaged from their job. They were there, but they weren't into it. 18%, this, this, this blew me away. 18% were so ticked off at the people they work around or work for, they literally would do something to hurt the company they work for. 18%. Now, if we were on the Alabama River on a boat row, rowing together, here's the way we look. We got 10 people on the boat. We got three people rowing. We've got five people disengaged sitting there. And we got almost two people rowing in the wrong direction. No wonder we're not making much progress, right? What an opportunity for you and I to be lights because we can be that person that comes to work that's positive not necessarily because we like everything going on at work or even that we appreciate our boss but we know our ultimate boss is God 
And so we can come to work with a good attitude. And we can come to work with Jesus at our side. And here's what you need to do. At the end of the work day, think about the things you've accomplished. Just like God did after the six days of, of, of creation, God stopped and God said, it's good, it's good, it's good. He recognized the value of his work. And as you're walking away from your job or getting in your car, just stop for a moment and celebrate everything that you have accomplished and give God thanks for using you. Well, let's talk about a couple more things and we'll be through with our, our walking through this day. How about interruptions? Now, I don't know about you, but interruptions sometimes bother me because, because I do go to work with a, a, a to-do list. How about you? And, and I love checking those things off. And, you know, you've sort of got your day set and, and everything's going the way you want it. And then all of a sudden, a big interruption comes. How do you handle that? Well, let me say, interruptions can be divine appointments. I mean, just think about the life of Jesus. So much of what Jesus showed us and taught us was in the middle of interruptions. I mean, we would not have a great chunk of the Gospels if Jesus had not been constantly interrupted. We've got that blind man named Bartimaeus who interrupts Jesus. We've got that woman who's suffering so badly and believes in Jesus so greatly that she thinks if she can just crawl through the crowd and somehow touch the hem of his garment, she will be healed. And the power goes out from Jesus and she's healed. We've got that sinful woman who doesn't care what anybody thinks about her. And Jesus is eating at the house of some uptight Pharisee. And she breaks in and she crawls behind the table. And she begins to anoint Jesus with oil and begins to praise him. And Jesus is able to talk to us about what it means to be a sinner saved by grace. Or just think about the story we looked at a few weeks ago from John chapter 8. That was an interruption. Jesus is in the middle of one of his teachings. As a preacher, I'm telling you, we normally don't like to be interrupted. And yet here, it's, it's so terrible. They throw this woman caught in adultery right at his feet and interrupt his teaching. But I would say to you, there is very few teachings in all the New Testament that have blessed my life more than what happened in the middle of that interruption. How about you? And so we learn, as our interruptions come through the day, we learn to embrace them as possible divine appointments that, yeah, my schedule may be messed up here, but how can I bless this person that's interrupted me? How can I minister to this person? It's a great opportunity. And just some odds and ends. And we've looked at this passage earlier, but it, it, it bears repeating. Whatever you do, whatever you do, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you say, buddy, there's some things I don't want to... How can I read the newspaper with Jesus? Well, why don't you pray about the things that are going on? We, we read the newspaper. Our world is a crazy place. All kinds of terrible things happen in our country. Instead of just reading the paper, could we pray along the way about those things? When you get on social media that can be used for bad and can be used for good, let's be the people that use it for good that share what God is doing in our life and share scriptures and share encouragement. And actually when we, you know, tell somebody on social media we're praying for them, we actually pray for them. You're in line at the grocery store. Could you slow down enough to pray for all the other people in line? You're stuck in traffic. Could you just contemplate the goodness of God 
You see, here's what I want you to see this morning. God can be with you everywhere you go and in everything that you do. This is not a friendship, you know, that's just got a little segment over here. We meet one hour a week on Sunday mornings and have a really great time together. No, 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 no. He wants more than that for you. So let's stop for a moment. Let's just slow down for a moment. And I want you to visualize spending tomorrow with Jesus. Now remember, it starts tonight, okay? So as you put your head on your pillow, maybe you can give God thanks for the wonderful weather. You can give God thanks for the food you've ate, for the family, for the awesome sermon you heard. I mean, you can just, well, you can just stop and, and review your day and try to be honest, all right? But remember, it starts. But let's, let's, let's just have a little moment of silence here for a little bit. What does your day going to look like tomorrow? And you guys, here's what I want you to do before we, before we sing. I, I want you to visualize how different it would be, how waking up would be different with Jesus. Taking your shower would be different with Jesus. Driving to work would be different. Being at work. All these things we've just gone over. Let me just give you, give you a minute. Because here's what I know, guys. If you don't first visualize it, if you don't believe it could happen, if you don't see it, if we don't stop and put a peg in the ground right now, I mean, I know what I'll do, you know, is I, I preach this sermon, and I'll forget it, and I'll just go to bed like I normally go to bed, think about all the things I'm worried about, and I'll wake up, you know, just the way I always wake up, you know, and I'll go to work, okay, but, but if, if, to, if right now you could just stop with me and just visualize it, and begin to see what it would look like. What would it feel like to live your day with Jesus? What would it look like? What would it change about you and about your surroundings if you were living every moment, as the Bible says, in Jesus' name? Just stop and think about that. Can you see it? Can you visualize it just for a moment? Can you believe today that you could spend all day tomorrow with him? Remember our quotation from the beginning? Best friends can turn a horrible day into one of the best days of your life. Let me, let me invite you to this. If you're willing to take this challenge, tomorrow could be one of the best days of your life. We can't even anticipate right now, good or bad, what's going to happen in your day. But we can say this, if you could spend it with Jesus. You know, sometimes you have a, a close friend or a loved one that you say, you know, we just need to spend the day together. We don't need to have some great agenda about what we're going to accomplish. We just need to spend the day. So, so whatever comes in that day is going to be better because you spend it with somebody that you love. So... What's tomorrow going to look like? Could you really take this challenge? Could I take this challenge and literally spend the day with Jesus? Could I really 
drop a name and say at the end of the day, you know what, this is the coolest thing that's happened today. But I can say after today, my best friend is Jesus. Let me give you one more quotation about friendships, about best friendships. I love this. Best friend, it's a promise, not a label. When you give someone that ultimate compliment, you you are my very best friend, you're not just giving a label to your relationship. What What you're giving is you're giving a promise. It's a promise that, you know what, I'm your best friend. I'll be there every day. I'll be there on good days. I'll be there on bad days. You could call me anytime, day or night, and I'd show up. I promise those things to you. I promise, you know what, that if you blow it, I'm not turning my back on you. Our friendship's deeper than that. I promise you, we have issues between each other. We'll work through it. There's a promise involved in saying, you're my best friend. Here's the really good news this morning, my friends. Jesus has made that promise to you. He's promised you that he will never forsake you. He'll promise you he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He promises you that he wants to walk with you in your good days and bad days. He's made that promise to you. It's amazing. Here's the only question left. Is have you made that promise to him? Is he your best friend? I mean, you know, I know you like him. I know you come to church. That, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about he's the person you want to spend your day with. You yearn for that. And your day is so much better because you spend it with him. So today, we, we, we know he's made that promise. The question for you and I this morning is, would, would we make that promise? There may be someone here today that wants to confess the name of Jesus before the church. And start your life all over again. Jesus said, if you'll confess my name before men, I'll confess your name before my Father in heaven. Today might be the day for you to make that promise to him. Today might be the day for you to acknowledge that, you know, one time you and Jesus were best friends, but now at best you're acquaintances. Or maybe you might even acknowledge, despite the fact you've come to church for years, you know people that know him, but you don't really know him. He's as superficial as a Facebook friend. And today you'd like us to pray that tomorrow you could spend the day with him. If you need us to pray for you about anything this morning, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?